Hi, this is Jim Lyon. You're listening to Viewpoint. And with me today, Nabil Safi, our Arabic speaker on a sister broadcast. Nabil, thanks so much for being in our studio. It's a pleasure, Jim. Now, Nabil, Lebanon is home for you. That's where you grew up and have been raised. That's where your family roots are. Definitely, yes. Speak Arabic there as a first language? Yes. And what else do you speak? You've got English down. Yeah, a little bit of French. And why French? French because uh, Lebanon was kind of uh, influenced heavily by the French government through the mandate and uh, then through the educational system and the government. It became the second official language. So in Lebanon, people speak Arabic. Everyone does. Many speak French and also English. And that just helps all of us understand that Lebanon is a convergent zone. It's a place where nations have always met each other because of its strategic geography. And today, Nabil... We're so glad you're here, but you've also brought with us a friend who also calls Beirut home. Yes. Introduce him to us. Yes, it is Maher Al-Hajj, and he is a, almost a childhood friend. Uh, we got to know each other in our early teenage years, and we both got called to ministry and in separate ways, in different ways. And uh, he has a heavy heart and uh, burden for the youth, and he's so much gifted in that. So this is Maher Al-Hajj. And Meher, thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure. Thank you. And I know that you have to catch a plane after this broadcast because you're returning from the States back to Beirut to be reunited with your family. Yes. uh, Yeah, they miss me a lot. And uh, I think the kids are expecting some gifts also. You have two children. How old are they? Uh, Timothy is five and Michaela is one and a half. And I'm guessing your wife is missing you because she needs some help managing the tribe. Yeah, and she needs a break for some time. (laughs) So she's going to give me the kids and run away, I think, somewhere. (laughs) Well, we're so thankful that you were able to visit with us before you head home and receive that warm embrace. And uh, as you live in Beirut, you live really uh, under the microscope of the world's attention these days because the whole world has been fixated on the conflicts and the Syrian civil war, how that spills over to neighboring countries, the drama of the uh, Islamic State, uh, the rebellion against the President Assad of Syria, uh, Russian intervention, American intervention, the Gulf allies and what they're doing, and the refugees that pour out of Syria and uh, overrun neighboring countries as well as pouring into Europe. I mean, there's so much in the news today, I think the whole world understands. You, Mayor, your home place is juxtapositioned at a critical moment in the, in the world's history and what it's like to live there and how your faith influences the way in which you react. Wow, that's what we want to talk about today. We're so glad you're here. I hope you'll stay with us because when we come back, we're going to ask Maher to unfold a story of life in Lebanon today under the headlines. Lebanon. It's a tiny country as measured by geography, but with an outsized influence in the world because Lebanese business people and Lebanese culture have spread not just throughout the Mediterranean basin, but throughout many parts of the world. And uh, if anyone knows about hummus or certain wonderful cuisines that have uh, Mediterranean roots, it probably has some mix up with Lebanon. But when we think about Lebanon, we also think about a country that is squeezed by its neighbors. It's always in the backyard of somebody else's conflict. And that's certainly true today. Meher, you call Beirut home. Lebanon is the place where your wife and children are waiting for you right now. Give us a glimpse of what life is like there now. How many refugees from Syria are in the country, would you say? Right now, the official numbers are 1.6 million refugees. But even the unofficial numbers 
it's close to 2 million. In a country that is 4 million, which means it's, uh, according to UN, it's the highest refugee to national ratio in the world. Well, and you're just talking there about Syrian refugees. Yes. Because Lebanon has become home to Palestinian refugees from prior conflicts south. During the Iraq war, there were many Iraqis who also fled Lebanon. I mean, so honestly, the, the native population, the indigenous Lebanese population has been overwhelmed by people fleeing conflict in their homelands. Lebanon has become like this refuge for the region. And because of that, it's putting so much pressure on the Lebanese people, on the Lebanese government. You can imagine uh, if you add all these refugee population, they would reach a bigger number. And the problems, the economic problems, the political problems, all the demographic changes that's happening uh, puts us in a really tough place. Can you give us an illustration of just in a daily life, in a daily routine, what's different today with millions of refugees than might have been true some years ago before the Syrian civil war? We bump into refugees everywhere we go. And uh, one night we slept and we woke up and we've seen many people in our streets and neighborhoods that didn't live there. Just overnight? Just overnight. And the problems that's happening is that the refugees need to live, they need to work, they need to bring food to their families. Although it's illegal to work in Lebanon, a lot of refugees are working. And the problem that's causing, that, that is being caused is that the Lebanese people are losing their jobs for the Syrian refugees. And another problem we're facing is the Syrian refugees are taking lots of the rooms in the poor neighborhoods where Lebanese would want to live. So there's now lots of Lebanese that don't have a place to live. They're being displaced in their own country. Exactly. By the press of humanity. And another complicating factor, I think, is that Syria as a nation state for many years, oppressed Lebanon, its next-door neighbor. Before the Syrian civil war, when it was relatively calm on the Syrian side of the border, Syrian troops and Syrian influence were very heavy in Lebanon. So that today, there's kind of a role reversal. Is, is that fair for me to say that the Lebanese who once chafed under Syrian dominion now find themselves overwhelmed by Syrian refugees who are helpless? Yes, and we never really thought this would happen. And uh, once Syria left Lebanon in 2005, we thought they'll never come again. And this time they did invade my country again, but not with arms, not with tanks, not with planes, but with hopeless, helpless refugees. And your first response to those Syrian refugees, your, your native human response to these people flooding now back to your country from Syria, what would it be? At the beginning, it was really no interest didn't really care and even preferred that they would go back because they're not welcomed. You didn't Lebanon. feel like you owed them anything? No, no. On the contrary, um, we didn't own them anything and uh, we, we don't want them to come back. We, have, we had such a bad history. Every family, or let's say not every, a lot of families in Lebanon, including my own family, have been affected by the Syrian occupation. Stories and stories of people that have vanished or died. And my family is one of these families that have lost lots of loved ones because, because of this. And I'm hearing you describe a situation where you and your community actually feels wronged by the Syrian occupation, and now they want your help. That's kind of how it feels. Like exactly. It's, uh, the tables are reversed right now. And um, we're just 
in that situation that we need to do something about it. And this is where following Jesus makes life easier and more complicated both at once. <laughs> and I know you're a man of faith, and when we come back, Mahir, I want to talk to you about how that faith has intersected with this reality on the ground. As you're listening to our program today, you may think of a question or a comment you'd like to share, and I want you to know that we're always glad to hear from you. In fact, we have a toll-free number that operates 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We're always right by the phone, anxious and ready to hear from you. This is the number, just write it down, 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439. I'll give you the number again at the end of our broadcast, but for now, no. We are so glad that you're tuned in. Our guest today calls Beirut home, and he's just been describing to us what life has been like over his lifetime. The Lebanese Civil War, lots of drama with Lebanese communities fighting each other. Then there's a kind of artificial peace as the Syrian government next door dominates Lebanon with troops, and it's an oppressed season. Then they vacate in 2005, and now Syria itself is devolving. Its own civil war has forced millions to escape many back to Lebanon, and the complicated feelings of the Lebanese for these waves and waves of Syrian refugees. And while I think I can understand, Maher, as you've been describing that, the natural response to think, I just wish these people would go away, I don't want to deal with it, and if I had to give them a shove, I would if I could. And yet, you follow Jesus, and Jesus has a different way of dealing with our enemies, with those who have wronged us, and it's challenging. I've wrestled with those teachings of Jesus. You have uh, really zeroed in on Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 43, where Jesus reminds his followers, you know, you've heard it said that you should hate your enemy. Love, love your friends, but hate your enemies. But no, I'm, I'm giving you something better and different and higher. I want you to love those who harm you. I mean, there's a foundational verse that I understand, and I've had to wrestle with it when I was a kid on the schoolyard when they wouldn't let me play on the football team. <laughs> But you're talking about a whole nother level of, of engagement. How is that working for you personally in the place you call home? So honestly, I would say that um, it, it needed lots of effort for me to change my emotions and my attitude. And um, I didn't want to, and I was not able to until I surrendered my will to the Lord. And through his Holy Spirit, he transformed my heart and my emotions and my attitude and because of that, we started as Youth for Christ Lebanon engaging the Syrian refugee youth. And the Lord has showed us very clearly after working with them for the last four years that we need to take it a step further. And a step further comes really from 2 Corinthians 5:18, where the Lord is asking us to be agents of peace, agents of reconciliation. And this came to us after some alarming statistics that we got uh, in 2015 about the Syrian refugee youth. And the alarming statistics say that at least 90% of the Syrian refugee youth don't go to school. And at least 50% of them have never felt safe in Lebanon. And at least 40% of them have thought of committing suicide. And we took that and we prayed, Lord, what can we do to make a difference? And the Lord showed us the verse from 2 Corinthians 5.18. And we started dreaming. So how can we do it practically, where Lebanese and Syrians live in these poor 
neighborhoods in Beirut where they share uh, a building, where they bump into each other up and down the stairs, but they don't talk to each other. They, they, the, the Syrians feel inferior or, or scared of the Lebanese. How can we change a community of youth that didn't live during the war or didn't live during the occupation, but have all that hate and bitterness? And the answer was to start a reconciliation center. You've described uh, a whole journey in a few short phrases there, Maher. I mean, a journey in your own heart of, of how the Lord has supernaturally molded and softened your heart to see the Syrian refugees not as someone to despise or someone to push away, but someone to be engaged because they are loved by God and so must you, and how your love has grown for them. And then you've also mm -hmm. described this crisis in young Syrian refugees, uh, children and teenagers who are in desperate straits, who don't have all the history, but they still carry the weight of that history in mm -hmm. them. And how you have been moved through the Ministry of Youth for Christ, which you lead in Lebanon, to create this Ministry of Reconciliation. I think for many of us outside of Lebanon who hear about these refugees, uh, we don't always see them as families, or we don't see kids, we don't see young people. Every now and then there's a dramatic photo of a child, and everyone knows about the sad story of the little boy who drowned on the beaches of the Mediterranean. But I think most of us see adults and adult men streaming out of the country. But what you're describing are families and young people. I mean, how many would you say? Thousands? Hundreds? What would you say? I would say under the age of 25, at least anywhere between 50 to 60 percent of the two million refugees are They're children, people. youth, and young adults. They're young adults. Yeah. And so when we come back, I want you to talk a little bit about this center of reconciliation. How does that actually work? How does the gospel actually move the hearts of Lebanon and Syria together?
thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of children, teenagers, young adults, have fled from Syria into Lebanon to find refuge, escaping from the conflict and the terror of their homeland. And in Lebanon, a group of believers are working to provide reconciliation between two populations that have often been at odds with each other. The Lebanese, once oppressed by the Syrians, now they're hosts. Mayor, as you've described a center of reconciliation, what actually happens there? What, what do you do? Our dream and our vision and our passion is to tackle the problems that they're facing. So we want it to be a safe place, a cozy place, an inviting place where they can come and play. We want the center to be a recreational place where they can come and play ping pong and play foosball and play darts. And we know that when the Lebanese and the Syrian youth living in that poor community, when they come to the center even to play, there's going to be friction. That's why we're going to be offering them reconciliation sessions. We're going to, they're going to sit together for at least seven weeks and just talk, share their stories. Their, why do they hate Syrians? Why do Syrians feel inferior? Did they live it or they heard about that? And how can we go beyond that? And our aim is once this group of young people is changed, they can help in reconciling their families, reconciling their neighborhoods, even reconciling our two countries. And another goal we have is educational because lots of them are not going to schools. So the goal is to have four classrooms uh, tutoring in English, in Arabic, in mathematics, in computers. And by that, we uh, give them a chance uh, to continue their education, give them a chance if they're going to start working, they have the, at least the basic skills. Or even if they will immigrate somewhere, they will have the language or even the computer skills to start, not just from scratch. And we would like to have a small library with books in Arabic and English for them to read. We would like to have a small coffee shop where they can come and feel, you know, we're cool and we're young and we can buy things and drink and eat. And But at the same time, other than being recreational and reconciliation center and an education center, we want to be a center that gives hope. And this hope, as from my experience, is in Jesus. And it's Jesus that will give them hope, meaning, purpose, because Jesus promised in John 10.10 10, that he's, he came not just to give us any kind of life, but an abundant life. And we believe when we provide this abundant life in Jesus, they're, gonna, they're not going to anymore think of committing suicide and ending their lives. They're going to feel safe in Lebanon, and they're going to be feeling safe as a teenager, that there's someone who loves them and have an amazing future for them. And this Center for Reconciliation, as you describe it, is actually a place. It's a, it's a room, it's a space, it's a, a, a yard, it's a, a center where people who are both Lebanese and Syrian can come together. And as you've described it, and you describe this vision of people interacting, does this place already exist? Are there people already engaged? The place exists, and um, very soon we're going to finalize uh, the negotiations for the rent. And uh, we'll start uh, fixing, painting, furnishing the place. And we're hoping in a couple of months the center will be running. And most of the Syrian refugees that you will find there are people who are not familiar with Jesus. No, they're, they're people living in those poor neighborhoods and they haven't had the chance 
or the opportunity to learn about Jesus or to even have a relationship with him. And this would be true for some of the Lebanese young the people who also come. Yes. So both communities are going to be served well, even as they find each other. Amen. Both communities, we want them to reconcile with the Lord and then reconcile with each other. As you uh, drive down the streets or walk down the streets of home, and you see it just turned upside down by all of these waves of refugees and, and I mean, all the demands, because at so many levels, life is interrupted. There have to be shortages and, and empty shelves sometimes when you have so many more people coming in all at once. There have to be inconveniences and, and detours and all kinds of ways in which life is, is turned around in ways that you wish it were not. And then, of course, you live not many miles away from the sound of gunfire itself, from the fighting. I mean, when I've been to Lebanon and realized how close I was to the Syrian border, and then I think, what's across that border these days? When, it, when you think about the Islamic State or President Assad, I mean, honestly, what a, what a devil's choice. When you think about all the things of your world that press in on you and your family, are you glad to be there? Yes, I'm, I'm convinced that I have a calling to be there. I'm convinced the Lord has a purpose for my life and for the ministry of YFC, and especially for that time, such historical time, where there's an urgent need to share our love and the faith and the hope we have in Christ with such masses of refugees that don't know the Lord. The passage you quoted in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 reads like this. God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be an offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. That's your story. And do you ever find yourself, for all of the pressures and the losses and the difficulties, finding real life in the reality, you are an instrument in God's hand. You're actually an instrument of heaven, doing heaven's work here below. Yeah, I believe that the Lord is using me, using the YFC staff, using, using the YFC ministry to be tools. We're just tools. We're passionate about reaching the youth. There are things we don't know we're learning. There are things we're doing it the first time. That's why we're really relying on him in, in starting the new programs, the new outreach, the funding. We're totally surrendering all of that to him. And he knows our heart. And the Lord is blessing and opening amazing opportunities for us to do that we never dreamt we'd be ever doing. When Jesus promised abundant life, it wasn't just about a state of being where we might find peace inside and just calm water. It's about also being used by God and finding life in being a part of his great work of reconciliation and redemption, reclamation in this world that hell has stolen from heaven's hand all the way back to Eden's day. Maher, we're so proud to have you on Viewpoint today. Thank you for your work on the ground in Lebanon. Thanks for sharing your story with us. And thank you for demonstrating what abundant life really could be like. And for all of you who are listening, we want to invite you to taste and pursue that same life. You may never get to Lebanon, but maybe you'd like to know how you can help. We will build a bridge for you so that you can help in this great work of reconciliation. Maybe you live in a place where you need to do some reconciling. 
you've got some strained relationships or some barriers, some walls that have come between you and people that you love, maybe even in your family or in your working place or in your school. Maybe there are communities that you pass by that you've despised, that you feel have wronged you. And you understand that if I'm to follow Jesus, I need to reach out to them. Maybe you're not following Jesus yet. And I promise you, life will be frustrating and a dead end. But if you want to know more about how you can, wherever you are in that continuum of options, take a step with us right now and pray. Our Father, we're so thankful that you know every one of us by name. And there is not one corner in this world that escapes your notice. We thank you for knowing of those precious ones in Lebanon who have fled the terrible fighting in Syria and found refuge for today in Lebanon. Thank you for the Lebanese who follow you and love you and are consequently loving them. Thank you for Meher and all those on his ministry team and their great vision and burden for life. We thank you, Lord, that you know each of us in our places and that you want to use us as ambassadors also of reconciliation. And we thank you, Lord, that you have loved us so much that you have stood in our place in the person of your Son to take the price of our failure on yourself, that we could be free. Lord, for all these things, we give you thanks, and we ask that you will invade our hearts and fill us with your Spirit and call us to yourself and breathe your words and your love into us that we might, receiving your grace, extend your grace. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give us a call. Dial this number, 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We want to hear from you. If you prefer, just check us out online. CBH, Christians Broadcasting Hope. That's cbhviewpoint.org. Read about the ministry there. Also send us an email. We will reply. Or the last, if you prefer, just write me a letter. Address it to Jim Lyon, Viewpoint, Post Office Box 2420, Anderson, Indiana, 46018, USA. But whether you call us by phone, check us out online, or use Surface Mail, please let us hear from you this week. Nabil and Mayor, thanks so much for being with us. And to all of you listening, we want you to know, if you'd like to come alongside, we'll help build that bridge for you. Let us hear from you. For all of us at the Viewpoint team, for all of us at Church of God Ministries, which is the host of our broadcast, this is Jim Lyon. We hope you'll join us again next week as we try and help you see the world from heaven's view.